0: a white plastic bottle with a green cap. When that image comes to mind, I can still feel the sting, the tears rolling down my cheeks, and ouch. Years ago as a boy in El Paso, my buddies and I often did something, frankly, that was really crazy. We lived in a neighborhood that was on top of a mesa. Now as many of you know, a mesa is a flat-topped hill or mountain with steep sides all around. And the sides of most mesas I know that are part of the Southwest are covered with dirt, rocks, and various sizes of cacti with long, prickly needles. And although we didn't have much snow in El Paso, although it does occasionally snow, that did not mean the concept of racing down a hill was not appealing. It was. So picture this. My pals and I would search the back alleys for big pieces of cardboard. And once found, we took the pieces of cardboard to a place on the edge of the mesa, sat down, pointed the cardboard down the hill, and off we went. And while we had a blast, cuts, bruises, and massive abrasions were the norm, an occasional broken bone, too. And that is where the white plastic bottle with the green cap came into play. I remember one day in particular, I was a bloody mess after a tumble down the side of a hill with a cactus needle through my leg. I limped home in tears and before my mom did anything, she said, we have to get you cleaned up and this is going to sting and when I wash it and then rinse your wounds, it's really going to hurt because I'm going to use Bactine. (laughs) And to this day, whenever I see Bactine, that little white bottle with a green cap, the word ouch comes to mind. An ouch that hurts, but a very necessary ouch to prevent an infection. So today is the beginning of Lent. Some of you are here for Ash Wednesday, uh, for the very beginning of Lent, and this is the first of six Sundays in Lent. And it is time of year when over centuries people have been very intentional about hitting the pause button in their lives and spending time thinking about Jesus, to think about ways in which they may have turned away from Jesus and to invest energy in confronting those things in life that are really hindering our relationship with God. For many over the centuries, Lent has been a time of year to focus on where on earth we would be without a savior. Our shared need for forgiveness for things we've done and for things we've not done and perhaps should have. It's a time and year where over the centuries people have explored feelings of guilt and how to work through them. It's been a time of year when over the centuries people have sought reconciliation with others when possible. And it's been a time of year for many over the centuries to think about mortality and death and what life would be like without Easter. To dust you are and to dust you shall return, are the words of Ash Wednesday. But Lent is also a season to take a very tough subject seriously. It's a season to get into something that makes most of us feel uncomfortable to say the least, And may cause us to say, ouch, that hurts. And that's something I believe we need to take a look at as followers of Jesus. That's something we need to take very seriously. That's something that we need to keep front and center and face head on is evil itself. If we don't take evil seriously, our very lives and our future in just about every domain is threatened. And like not cleaning out a wound, even though it hurts to do so, ignoring evil can lead to some pretty bad stuff and consequences that can make an infected wound look like a cakewalk. C.S. Lewis once said something like, there are two opposites but equally dangerous mistakes people make in life. Some people perseverate on evil and focus on it so much that they can't stop thinking about it or attributing everything bad that happens to it. Other people, he writes, do something equally damaging. They ignore evil or simply don't want to deal with it. Now, I know firsthand in my own life that some of what has befallen me and those I love comes directly from evil. I know in 20 years of ministry that I've dealt with stuff that only evil could be responsible for precisely because I've chosen to go into ministry. I know that the closer I've gotten to Jesus, the more wily, insidious, and nasty evil has been in my life, and it's been a consequence of what I've done with my life. On the other hand, some of what I've endured, some of what those I love has endured, is simply due to the frailties of life, or the consequences of free will. So I've always tried to keep C.S. Lewis's mind in point. Not all that is bad is due to evil, yet to ignore it is an equally troublesome mistake. Anyway, back to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote, What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come the long, terrible story of humankind trying to find something other than God. Well, here, of course, C.S. Lewis alludes to the story of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, when they faced great temptation through dialogue with a snake. And for centuries, many have equated that snake in that story with evil, and the snake in the story in Genesis is described as crafty. What's interesting is the word used, crafty, in Hebrew, literally means naked. In other words, the snake was naked, the snake exposed Adam and Eve to temptation, which is exactly what evil does to you and to me. Now, while I cannot possibly say everything there is to say about this topic in one sermon, let alone a series, I'd like to spend a few moments with you this morning looking at some ways in which evil messes with us and some things to keep in mind when dealing with it. Before I begin, however, I want to say that personally, I don't like this topic. I wish evil did not exist, but it does. Scripture makes that clear, so did Jesus. And like a perilous infection, evil is nasty, insidious, clever, cunning, deadly, and subtle often. It likes to multiply and spread like fungus and like a snake, it can seemingly come from nowhere. And I have a feeling evil's going to be ticked at me for even talking about this today. Believe me, I much prefer talking about the fact that God is love. The nature of God is mercy and tenderness. Because in the end, we learn through the the gospel of Jesus Christ that God wins, God has won, God won on the cross, and evil is dealt with. For that, we can be sure. But I cannot ignore this critical subject. Sadly, as far too many in our culture ignore evil and suffer because of doing so. And I have a profound obligation to speak about it now and then. Our gospel reading today is from Mark, as we know, but to really get at the details of what happened to Jesus in the wilderness that day, we need to look at what happened to him as described in the gospels of Matthew and Luke. We know Jesus was roughly, give or take a year, around 30 years old when he went to the Jordan River and was baptized by John the Baptist. And it was there that John announced that Jesus was the Messiah that so many had been waiting for. And it was at that incredible moment, that amazing highest of times, that Jesus was directed in one of the lowest, darkest times of his life. The highest time, immediately into the deepest, darkest time. Just like that. Jesus was led out into the desert, into a barren mountain just outside the city of Jericho, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. As one person writes in adapted form, the devil's timing this whole event was simply perfect. Jesus had yet to heal anyone. He had not yet preached, he did not have a massive following, he didn't know a lot of people, he was alone, he was hungry, he was on the verge of launching his ministry, he was at a most vulnerable place in his life, and that's when evil struck. And it was here in the desert that the devil tempted Jesus three times. First, since Jesus was hungry, the devil tempted Jesus by trying to get him to focus on a bodily need, a craving, in this case food, he was hungry, but Jesus refused. Next, the devil tempted Jesus' ego by offering the chance to pull off an amazing stunt by jumping off a high wall and not only surviving, but thriving. Jesus refused. Finally, the devil tempted Jesus' mind and again ego by offering everything on earth to Jesus if he would only worship the devil. Jesus refused. The devil threw everything at Jesus and tried to get him through his body and through his mind, but the devil did not succeed. Well, as we know, this story is not just about Jesus. It's about the reality of evil, and it sheds a light, a lot of light, on the modus operandi of the devil. So I want to take a few moments and just explore some of the ways in which evil operates. First, the story tells us that regardless of how good we are, no matter how much our lives are about loving God and loving people, Despite any integrity, morality, ethics, or a long list of good works we might have under our belt, even if we're very active in church and basically a good person, just as the devil went after Jesus, who had all these qualities and so many more, the devil will go after us. Goodness and wholeness by itself does not protect us. In fact, just the opposite. I've shared with our board and our staff over the nine and a half years that I've been here that the more we get it right, the more we move to Jesus, the more effective we become in reaching people, the more evil will go after us and try and destroy us and get at us, derail us, and mess up what God is trying to do here at the chapel. There's no question about it. And the closer any of us gets to Jesus, the more faithful we become, the more we become a target for evil. I have taken more hits as a minister in churches because of speaking of Jesus as much as I do Uh, from people who don't like it, and I know where that voice is coming from. Evil's intention is to get us off track, to lead us away from God, and move us finally to that place in life where we conclude there is no God. That's evil's intention. Secondly, the story tells us the evil goes after us in our most vulnerable spots. For Jesus, he was incredibly hungry after not eating for such a long period of time. And one of his most profound weaknesses at the time was his body, his need for food. And it was to the nexus point of where he was most vulnerable that the devil went after. In the midst of our strengths, in the midst of our gifts, in the midst of our strong points. Every one of us here, I believe, has weak spots. Every one of us has places where needs are not met or have not been met. Every one of us carries a sense of emptiness or hurt or lack of fulfillment when it comes to certain things certain relationships or certain areas in our lives. Every one of us is made out of flesh and blood with physical, emotional needs. Every one of us has issues of some sort. And it's precisely to such pace, places that evil likes to reside and hang out, playing on us, playing on our vulnerable spots, waiting for the right opportunity to put a thought into our mind. And frequently, evil does go after our weak spots in ways that are subtle. Again, back to C.S. Lewis. Lewis. He writes, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without mileposts, the gentle slope. And perhaps more startling is that sometimes evil clothes itself with what feels to be good, right, whole, and based on right intention. Paul writes in his second letter to the people of Corinth, Satan does it all the time, dressing up as a beautiful angel of light, so it shouldn't surprise us when evil masquerades itself as a servant of God. And on top of this, at the end of the story, we're told that the devil left Jesus, but not permanently. In the Gospel of Luke, it reads, "The devil retreated temporarily from Jesus, lying in wait for another opportunity." In other words, we're not vulnerable once, but at various times in our lives, and it's for such times that evil lies in wait for another opportunity lead us astray next the story of temptation tells us that while evil goes after our vulnerable spots and while evil can also uh, go after us when we are basically doing a lot of good things evil can pursue us when we're feeling strong all together we have it all made jesus was led into temptation in the midst of one of the most amazing experiences of his life his baptism. It was a pinnacle peak moment when it became very clear who Jesus was. And I believe it's clear that we can be vulnerable to evil at our peak and pinnacle moments as well. Let's use churches as example. These are examples from churches I've been in all over the country. A parish is thriving when when a beloved minister on staff runs off with a staff member, leaving a wake of heartache and betrayal and grief. A parish is thriving. The members decide, we don't have enough. We want bigger and bigger and more and more and bigger and bigger and more and more alienating everybody in the process. A parish is thriving and a deep, dark secret from the past comes out, just at the point where everything seems to be humming along. A parish is thriving and the leadership gets big heads, and the clergy get big heads, and they conclude that the success of the parish is due to them. Forgetting about God in the process, the parish goes way off track. Or look at our culture. A CEO tax out, takes out a massive out-of-sight bonus defends the payout even though his secretary receives no bonus and certainly little if any credit. An athlete wins and wins and gets cocky and begins to dismiss his commitments, integrity, and honor His wife and children are left in the dust. A small business, business owner achieves success and begins to cut corners because the word more and more and more creeps into his mind. A student does extremely well in school, but thinks if she does not get into an Ivy League school, failure is ahead. So the word cheat enters her mind. The example of how evil goes after us at the moments of great success are limitless and boundless. Well, there's much more to say in our gospel reading today, there's just one more thing I want to touch on about how evil operates, and that is evil amazingly just as in our story today, often uses Scripture itself to entrap us. When the devil tempts Jesus for the second time, the devil quotes Scripture to try and get Jesus. And tragically and ironically, over the centuries, I believe evil has caused Christians to use Scripture in a way that ends up serving evil and not God. How many churches historically used scripture to justify the evil institution of slavery? How many women have suffered abuse at the hands of a husband who quotes scripture and says, wives, be subject to your husbands? How many children have been beaten in the name of God based on the taken out of context spare the rod verse? How many small groups of Christian people have come together and said, when two or three are gathered, God is among us, so what we are doing is holy and right? How often do we hear news and see Christians quoting Scripture with red faces and spit spewing from their faces and spewing vile words of hatred? How often do we hear some Christian leaders be proclaim on behalf of God Who's going to hell and who is not? The scary truth is that evil sometimes uses the word of God itself to get people and to lead people away from God, whose essence is love. Now, I've shared just some of the ways in which evil attempts to pull us into darkness. Evil goes after us when we're getting it right and getting closer to Jesus, evil pursues us in our weak spots and places in which we're vulnerable. Evil seeks us out when we're strong and successful in experiencing a peak or pinnacle experience in life. Evil twists and distorts our use in scripture. And there's more. That said, we're not helpless at all. And so I want to wrap up this morning very briefly with just some things we can think about to confront evil in our own lives. First and foremost, I think it's essential that we remain vigilant and attentive to who or what we are following in life. To be attention and vigilant about who or what we are following in life. Every one of us here today follows something the most, or someone the most. The choices of what we follow and where we put our greatest energy is limitless. And what we follow the most, what we pursue the most, what we go after the most, can include God, money, a relationship, Job, a place, a way of living, a pattern of thinking, or even old wounds. And the key is to be clear on what whom we're following and to be intentional about it. Evil wants us to follow evil, and there are lots of paths to get there. As an aside note, uh, I think the Bible on evil was written by C.S. Lewis, a short book called Screwtape Letters. I commend it to everybody. It is superb. Second, evil wants us to be attentive to what or to whose voice we listen and pay attention to. We're bombarded by voices continually throughout each day, some in written form, text messages, Facebook messages, Snapchat messages, news messages. Every one of us is bombarded. Some of these voices come from outside of ourselves. Some voices we hear come from within ourselves. But we need to remember when we're paying attention to voice that God's voice is always, without exception, consistent with love. If we hear a voice that doesn't have love at its heart, God is love. It is not the voice of God. God is love, so therefore we should be very wary about paying attention to any non-loving voice. God's voice is also in alignment, however, with the broad picture of Scripture and with things that are known as the fruit of the Spirit, which are things like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self control. If a voice is full of spite and anger, division, divisiveness, castigation, it's not the voice of God. Third, we need to realize that anger, while human and justified and more than okay, is a profound danger zone and provides fertile ground for evil. One of the classic examples of this is in the book of Genesis, in the well-known story of when Cain kills his brother Abel. It's right at the beginning of the Bible, A story about anger. And the story of anger runs throughout Scripture, but it's really interesting that anger is described right at the beginning. It's Cain's anger that causes him to murder his brother. In fact, right before Cain does the killing, God warns Cain by saying, Cain, when you're filled with so much anger... A demon is crouching at your door waiting to get you. And your anger is something that will open up the door to evil. Beware of anger. It's fertile ground for evil. Again, anger is human and okay and reasonable and responsible, but it can be fertile ground. Fourth and obvious, being part of a community, going to church, spending time with people who are believers and grounded in faith is essential, but isn't Critical defense against evil. We need people of faith around us. Fifth, and perhaps obvious, is to follow Jesus' lead when it comes to evil. What did Jesus do? He prayed. What was the prayer that Jesus taught us that we recite every Sunday? What do we say within that prayer? Deliver us from evil. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. He laid it out for us. When you pray, pray. Deliver us from evil. And finally, remember, and this is really important, that in the end, God wins. God has won. God will win. God has won. Evil is dealt with. The worst thing we can do is shudder or live in fear or angst about anything in life, or fear and angst in response to evil, or fear and angst in response to anything. Instead, we are called to trust God and to trust that God is in control, even when we're afflicted by tough stuff, and by evil. It's my prayer that each of us this Lenten season will take this subject seriously, that just like the need to clean out a wound and maybe even use some Bactine or some other disinfectant, that we'll remain vigilant in our own lives and work on cleaning out stuff that we need to work through, those fertile grounds, that we will pay attention to evil, we'll be attentive to it, we won't be consumed by it, that we won't perseverate on it, but that we'll be aware And again, remember, through this discourse this morning, that through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, evil is done. Thanks be to God. Let us pray.